Amen. Don't you appreciate Devin and the, the whole worship team up here? Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. You like how I subtly walked up here and just kind of dismissed you off the stage? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wasn't telling him to shut up, I promise. Uh, man, I'm glad you're here today. My name is Richie, our lead pastor here, and uh, I believe God has a reason for each of you to be here, and I am thankful that he got you here today. Whatever means that he got you here by, maybe they weren't the greatest. Uh, I'm sorry, but I'm glad that you are here uh, because God's got something special that he wants to do today in your life wants to speak to you, make himself known to you. Uh, I believe that he is going to work powerfully in a way that your life could actually be changed, altered forever, just in these few minutes here today. And, and I believe in that way. And I uh, believe in that God's gonna do that kind of a thing. You know, as a church, we're on a mission to reach this world for Jesus one person at a time. That's, that's um, maybe some of you are nauseated by how often we talk about that, but that is who we are and what drives us. When we walk in here on a Sunday, it's not just to attend a church service and go through motions and kind of do the church thing or religion thing. We're actually here to be changed and equipped for the mission of God so that when we go to work or school or whatever that looks like uh, this week, that, that God would use us in a powerful way to see lives changed. And we are so thankful uh, that we get a chance like this to gather and to be equipped for his purposes. Uh, I want you to open your Bible today to Genesis chapter 2. Um, if you're new to the Bible, it's right at the very beginning. You really can't miss it. Just start at the table of contents. You'll get there in just a couple of pages. Genesis chapter 2, because today we are um, continuing a conversation about the thing that God is wanting to do in you. He is wanting to make you new. He's wanting to make you into uh, a complete transformed version not, not a cleaned up version of who you used to be, but a brand new version of, of who you are. Because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, saving us from our sin, giving us the freedom to become the men and women that he called us to be, we are on a journey together as a church, as a people, as individuals, understanding that God has, has a picture in mind of the kind of life that we are to have, the kind of people that we are to be. We've talked over the last several weeks about our relationship with Jesus, uh, our relationships here in the church. Today, we're gonna begin a new conversation of relationships in our families, and our homes. I hope you got this on the way in. I want you to grab this because this, this kind of shows you the, the spheres that we are talking about. Everywhere that you go, um, God has a picture of maturity in those relationships. And we are hoping to help each of us catch like a vision for what maturity looks like in our lives, in, in our relationships in the church, in our relationships in our marriages. We're gonna talk about parenting here in a few uh, weeks. And we love to have these conversations and paint a picture of ideal. Today, uh, I'm gonna lay the groundwork for um, really what I believe is the foundation of all this conversation. Uh, I'm gonna talk about marriage we're going to talk about sexuality. Uh, we're going to talk about gender. Uh, we're going to try to navigate a few just tiny conversations. How's that sound today? Um, and and I, I do so with a lot of um, uh, excitement because I think that um, many of us are, are navigating a lot of difficult conversations and a lot of pressure um, in our lives around what, what do we think, what do we believe about uh, sexuality, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality. What do we believe about uh, and, and behave with when it comes to pornography? And how do we navigate gender and gender transition and all these different tensions that are just swirling around our lives? God has so much to say about who we are and who we are to become and, and, and really the kind of life that he wants us to live. And I believe with all my heart that when, when you and I understand God's design, we are empowered to live blessed by God. 
You gotta still choose God's design. And if you do, you will find yourself in a place of fulfillment and peace and satisfaction. But if you step outside of God's design, um, man, all bets are off. You're gonna get exactly what you're going for, which usually ends up being pain and destruction and misery. All the things that people maybe have warned you about, uh, many of our lives have experienced. And so today I wanna set the foundation for marriage, sexuality, uh, singleness, dating, all of that. We're not gonna get super practical today, kind of on purpose, because um, I got a lot to cover and just a few minutes to cover it. And uh, I would just say this, if you haven't already listened to, my wife and I do a bunch of work on the practicality of marriage and parenting and singleness and dating and sexuality, all these things in our podcast uh, that we started recording last year. And um, uh, we haven't recorded in a few months since she got sick, but there's some really practical content there that if you haven't listened to, go grab that and, and uh, hopefully that'll help further this conversation today. I'm coming at this because um, <clears throat> really I believe that God has a design. And I'll, I'll say it like this, um, navigating um, my wife's sickness and battling cancer and all that, we've become way more in tune with like the systems of our body. And our bodies are miraculous. I mean, the, the, the way that God put you together, the way that he designed your, your systems and uh, you got digestion and circulatory. I called it the blood flow system last service. They were laughing at me. Uh, I don't know what it's called, all right? But uh, you, you got all these systems that work perfectly together inside you to give you the capacity to, 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 to walk this life and to do these things. I mean, you are a walking miracle when you look at how God orchestrated all these things to just function so perfectly together. Many of us understand this, but maybe lose appreciation for this. Well, these same kind of designs come into your relationship, come into marriage, come into sexuality. God has a way of living that is a blessed way of living to step outside of God's way and God's design in your relationships, your marriage, your sexuality, is to actually experience the consequence or the pain uh, and destruction that's associated with doing things your own way. Today, I wanna talk about marriage, because I wanna talk about family. We're gonna talk about family next week. And I recognize that for family, the basis of an actual family is marriage. And the basis for marriage is gender and sexuality. And the basis for gender and sexuality is God's created design, how he made us men and women and how he created us. And his creative determination of how he set things in motion in the, the system that he put together um, is for our best, for our peace and satisfaction and fulfillment and joy and to undermine God's design and his intent and the way he built things to go is to step outside of his design and to find all the pain that goes with that. So today I, I'm excited because I want to paint a picture of ideal in this conversation today. And I paint a picture of ideal not to condemn where you've been and the pain of your past and the mistakes that any of us have made Every one of us walk into a relationship with Jesus with all kinds of brokenness and baggage associated with how we've navigated life up to this point. I am gonna paint a picture of ideal not to condemn you, but to invite you into a future of what if we become a people that live the way God has invited us to live? What if we could become a people that experience the blessing, the joy, the peace, the satisfaction that comes with living God's way? 
That's really my intent in this is an invitation. So if you feel any kind of shame or guilt about your past or brokenness that you've experienced uh, sexually or marriage-wise or, or as a parent, know this. This is not a conversation to bring more pressure and more shame. This is a conversation to invite you into God's future and to paint a picture of ideal, a target to aim at that we can walk towards together as a people. Does that sound all right? Kind of, all right, we'll get you, okay. Uh, last thing I'll say to this um, before I pray is that I'm coming at this conversation with a um, deep, deep conviction inside my soul that the Bible is God's authoritative word to us. That this is God's word to us. Authoritative in all of life. It's not segmented to religious parts of our life. All of life. God has spoken and we surrender and submit to his authority. Now, if you don't believe that the Bible is authoritative, this conversation is going to be maybe tougher for you to swallow. And I get that. Hear this as an invitation for those of us that are committed to the word of God as the ultimate authority for our lives as a church and as an individual. That is what we are committed to. And that's the way I'm approaching this. So if you disagree with this, I'm sorry. We're not starting from the same position on this. And that's okay. But I am presenting wholeheartedly with that conviction in my heart. You understand that? Okay. All right, well, let's pray and we'll dive into Genesis chapter two in a moment. Lord, thanks for this time together. Help us, God, help each of us to have ears to hear what you wanna say to each of us, God, individually, what you wanna say to us collectively, God. I pray that you would paint a picture of what maturity looks like in our marriages and our families and our singleness and our sexuality, God. And I pray you'd help me, God, not to say too much or too little. Um, just empower me, God, to say what, what you want me to say, God. These are your words. This is your truth, God. And make it alive for each of us, Lord. Uh, we just love you and we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, can you say amen today? Amen. Genesis 2.18 is where we're kicking off today. God had just finished creating um, the world. He created Adam and then he came into a problem. Um, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I think this is so interesting because up to this point in creation, everything had been good. Birds in the sky, good. Fish, good. Creepy crawly things, even though we don't like them, they're good. Uh, you know, all of this, sun and moon and stars, all of it's good. And then God creates man in his own image and then, and then he says, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And I want you to get this. Adam was not alone. He was with God. Many people say this, me and God, we're good. All those other people out there, I could live without them, right? Like there's this idea of separation and God doesn't have it. Who we are designed to be is an intimate relationship with our creator, God himself, an intimate relationship with other human beings. That's how we are made. That's how we are built. That's one of those systems that is hardwired into your psyche and your life, into who you are. It is not good for the man to be alone. So I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man. Think of the authority that God gave man in this moment. He brought them to the man to see what the man would name them. Like this is a responsibility that God gave Adam. You get to name all the animals. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Amen. Amen. None of those worked. The livestock didn't work. The birds didn't work. None of that. None of that worked. So 
the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, actually, the, the, the Hebrew translation would be, and the man broke into a song. I'm serious. That's, that's literally like, this is how you understand how men feel about women right here, right? Is, is like he starts singing, like this is the sound of music right here or whatever, you know, they're on the hills or alive. It's, it's amazing. Uh, he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Adam, you botched it. You could have thought of a way more romantic thing than this to sing about, right? But this is, this is what he said. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why, listen to this, right here, marriage gets created. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Let's pause there. I wanna make a few observations. When you see the created um, picture here, God's design, God is designing man and woman. God created Adam first and then Eve was created out of his side, out of his rib, not his head, not his foot, in a place of protection and companionship. You see this equality between man and woman. Distinct, different though. I think you gotta hear this and see this. Equality does not mean everything's exactly the same. There is distinction between man and woman. There's differences, different roles and different places in this created order, but, but there, is, there is equality in this. The other thing that I, I hope you would see is that men and women are created the way God created them. When you think about gender and the conversation of um, gender uh, transition and confusion and all the language around that, that culture is pressurizing right now, um, there's a lot of conflict being preached about gender. From the beginning, there was no conflict. There was a ton of clarity. It was men and it was women. It was absolutely clear this way. Marriage is also brought front and center right here in the creative moment, which is so powerful for me, that God actually created marriage. Really two institutions that, that God created. One was marriage, one was his church. And the powerful picture that we see here is that as he is creating man and woman, out of this, this amazing moment, this song that Adam is singing, there is this establishment of what God intends. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Marriage becomes this reflection of, of the created like unity that they came out of each other, that there was this, like, this amazing moment where God put Adam to sleep and out of his rib comes this woman and, and, and how God took that and made that. And now there's this rejoining or coming back together and the two becoming one flesh. This is a powerful picture that there are different roles within the marriage context, but there is one flesh is this picture of how God made marriage to be. One man, one woman for life becomes the clear definition for scripture what marriage is intended to be. Now, I know culture is trying to change that definition and all kinds of things are, are pushing against that definition. But here at the created moment, again, the Bible is our authority. If you don't agree with the authority of scripture, I understand you may have different definitions in this, but this is where we stand wholeheartedly is going, oh, marriage is between one man, one woman for life. That is how God designed it to be. 
And I would also say this, that the oneness, the one flesh and the united to his wife, this language is not just platonic and physical and sacramental and, and, and kind of ceremonious. This is actual physical union as well, oneness, sex. And so when, when, when you see this, that sexuality is actually deeply spiritual. It's not just physical or just a a hookup or just kind of some practical thing that happens to, to have kids or whatever. No, it's deeply spiritual. And it's part of the oneness that God has designed marriage to have. The intimacy that God has created between a man and a woman. Let's keep moving. That's Genesis 2. Go to Genesis 3 with me. Just flip over a page there to, to verse 1. We are introduced to a new character in the creation story. God had finished creating Adam and Eve, the garden, all of it. The last verse of chapter two is the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. There's this sense of like, wow, everything is good. But then we get verse one, we get a new character entered into the story known as the serpent, the snake, Lucifer, the devil, the, the, the one Satan himself trying to destroy the design of God, the created way God made things. Now the servant was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? This is a, this is a question that is designed to bring doubt to someone's heart and mind. I want you to just capture this. This is the way of the enemy in your heart and in your mind, in our culture. This is the way the enemy works. Did God really say? Designed to get you to doubt and question the intent and the purpose and the created order of God. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He's hearkening back to the command that God gave Adam. And I think it's really important that we understand that God gave this command to Adam and we see by scripture that it was clearly Adam's responsibility to give this command to, to Eve, his wife, and, and to help her understand it. And, and yet we see the serpent come directly to Eve in this moment. And it's a really dynamic picture of what's going on here. Did God really say this, that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake says. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Come back to this in a minute, but I just want to make a few observations. I said it a moment ago. I just want to reclarify that the enemy of your soul, the enemy of God, Satan himself, is always trying to undermine the clarity in people's hearts and minds around what God has declared as true. That's his tactic. If he can undermine your confidence and what is true, he can begin to direct your heart away from God's design. Oh, it might not be that bad. Might I feel like a little kid when I hear this conversation, don't you? The rationalizing that we do in our hearts and our minds to kind of talk ourselves into uh, things that are never good for us. 
We do this, right? We, we, we have this kind of weird ability to talk ourselves into really damaging things because we hope it'll turn out okay. The enemy is always trying to undermine clarity in your heart and your mind about what God has already declared is true. Not only that, he's trying to get people, he's trying to get Eve in this conversation to define things the way that we want to define them. It's not just the words of God, it's the way God intended these words to be understood and, and, and the interpretation of them that is so important for us to recognize and to understand. That, that the enemy of your soul is trying to get you to define things the way you want to define them so that you can rationalize decisions to walk away from what has been declared as true. Eve did this. And the enemy wants to get us to poke at the definitions that God has already established undermining what is true. Think of the definition of marriage. One man, one woman for life. Think of the definition around sexuality. Sexuality is designed for marriage. But if, God, if the enemy can undermine that definition of where sex is intended, then pornography somehow becomes rationalized in our mind as something we need or something we deserve or sex outside of marriage just becomes something really small and kind of minimal and it doesn't really matter if who I sleep with or how often I sleep with, whatever. And, 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 and all of that, that definition of what God intended. Think of the danger of gender being redefined or undermined. It's so easy for it to just kind of become this confusing quagmire. The enemy is always trying to get under God's truth, God's definition, and get you lacking confidence in what God has already said. The other thing that's so important to see in Genesis 3 here is that Eve saw this fruit and it was desirable. <laughs> it wasn't like rotten. It looked good. And I think that this is important for us to understand is that every one of us has desires inside of us. And these desires are, are trying to lead our hearts and our emotions and our decisions. Every desire inside of us has to be understood within the context of what is true and what is blessed and what is healthy and what is godly and what is not. And many times we don't do the work to really distinguish, is this a desire that's godly or ungodly? And desire has been something that has um, led the way in many of our hearts and lives, led the way in our culture. And it's really interesting, the tension that is currently in front of us culturally, I would say, is that most of the preaching that's being done culturally is that your desires define you. What do I mean by this is that actual identities have been created around desires. Take the desire for same-sex attraction. That has now been formed into an identity called gay or homosexual. The Bible never speaks of homosexuality as a identity. It's a practice that people give way to, a desire that people give way to. It's outside of God's design, but, it, but it's now become an identity called gay. And what's challenging about this is that no one ever in human history has ever been given an identity by their desire, but that's what's been conflated now. And you see, when you lose the clarity of the definition of who God made you to be or what your gender is or what your sexuality needs to be, desire starts to take over and, and, and kind of all these terms start to get all so fluid. And I think it's important for us to recognize that 
Desire is way different than identity. Who you are is not defined by your desires. And when those two things start to get conflated and confusing, then you find yourself struggling internally in ways without confidence, without certainty. Well, maybe that's who I am starts to come out. Or people might say, I identify as, that's where this language starts to come from. And it speaks to this tension that the enemy can undermine someone's identity because now the truth of what God has already said is, not clear in our own hearts. And if he can undermine your identity, then he can begin to control your future. I hope I'm not going too quick for you. You tracking with me? I know this is a lot. You, you still with me? Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I'm gonna keep going. Genesis three, look at down at verse 16 with me for a moment. And this tips us back into the marriage conversation specifically. Adam and Eve had just sinned and now God is pronouncing really the consequence of their sin on their lives and on the world that we live in. To the woman, he said, this is verse 16, I will make your pain in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. He says also that your desire will be for your husband. Literal translation is to rule over your husband, but he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. He says, because of that, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. This is known biblically as the curse. The curse on the ground, the curse that, that Adam and Eve and all mankind that now are, are in the lineage of Adam and Eve, which happens to be all of us, are now forced to deal with the result of sin. And it's important that you hear this is the curse is not God punishing, like how dare you? This is the result of brokenness. When we invite sin into our story, now the curse begins to define our lives. Remember I said earlier, if if you walk according to God's design, you experience the blessing of what it means to be uh, in step with God. And if you step outside of that, you experience the consequence of that. That's part of what this is. The curse is a result of sin, not God punishing mankind. It's the reality of our brokenness. The curse for, for Eve, for women, brought a desire to rule over her husband, to control her husband, but the role of leadership will remain without him. That's what God says in that. Tempting women to take over, thus undermining God's design. The curse for Adam, men, brought an increase of pain and toil and work. Work itself is good. It's it's what God commands us to do, but the curse brings an increase of toil to our work and to our efforts. Tempting men to shirk and shrink back from responsibility and step away from difficult things and difficult conversations and difficult decisions, thus undermining God's design. This collectively is just the foundation for this conversation about marriage and family and home. 
And I recognize there's a ton of nuances that kind of shoot off of this conversation. And again, I'm just gonna remind you, I'm just trying to set a basic foundation, but I wanna give you two things today, practically, to try to help you to go, okay, what do we do with this, Richie? So we, we hear this theology here that you're laying out before us. What do we do with it? How do we, how do we navigate life based on this? Number one, I would tell you wholeheartedly is to learn to honor God's design. If this is the way God created us to live, God created us to operate, God created us to make decisions, then I wanna call you to be a people who honor God's design. And think of the word honor, it's important that we hold it in high regard, the highest regard, that, that actually every decision and every, every thought gets, gets made subservient to what God designed and how he asks us to operate in this life. There are a lot of competing desires inside you. There are a lot of decisions that, that you wanna do your way and I wanna do my way. And what I'm asking is for us to learn to be people that honor God's design. We recognize it, we learn it, we not just agree with it, like, oh yeah, that's good, but actually live this way. Honor God by honoring his design. As a man or a woman, when it comes to your gender, I wanna call you to live into and embrace your created gender role. There may be desires inside you that would compete with God's design. Oh, I have a desire to be more like this gender or that gender or to take on this identity or that identity. And I would say the same thing to every one of you to learn to subdue those desires and place them under the authority of God's design. You are not on your own in this battle. Not only do you have a church sitting around you that is wanting to help you become who God made you to be, but you also have the opportunity to have the spirit of God inside you. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is a gift to every single one of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. When you recognize that you're a sinner and that you need salvation and that I am not gonna make myself perfect with God, it is only by the perfection of Jesus that I could be made right with God. When you surrender yourself to Jesus in that way and take on the, the, the sacrifice that he made to pay for your sin, and you are set free from that sinful nature and are given a gift of the deposit of the spirit of God inside you. And the spirit of God inside you is the most empowering thing that you can have to battle these desires inside you. Every single one of us who are bending our knee to Jesus Christ are given this gift of his spirit inside of us. And man, that is my invitation of like, how do you subdue those desires? You don't just white knuckle your way through this life. You actually pursue the spirit's prompting in your heart more than any other desire in your life. And pretty soon the strength of the spirit of God inside you begins to drown out the desires of, of our past or how we've always operated. Every single one of us as followers of Jesus are on this journey right here. It doesn't matter what the desire is. Maybe the desire is a same-sex attraction. I'm asking you, subdue that desire and bring it under the authority of Jesus Christ. Your, your desire may be to have sex with people that you're not married to, to hook up, to do all subdue that desire and put it under the authority of Jesus Christ. Your desire may be to look at pornography and, and, and just get a fix sexually that way. I would ask you to subdue that desire and make it obedient to the design of Jesus Christ under God's authority. You tracking with me? This is how you honor God's design. You may feel like you're always gonna wrestle with those desires. I understand. I think we all understand that does not mean those desires are who you are. That does not define you. 
It is God himself that has defined you, that has declared over your life who you are, that you are his, that he loves you, that he bought you with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, that he shed on the cross for you, that he brought you into his family, made you his son or his daughter, has adopted you and has called you and has anointed you, is setting you on a mission. Those desires do not define you. The God of the universe defines you. The more you learn to subdue those desires, the more confidence you have in who God has called you and made you to be. When it comes to sexuality, I would say within, specifically within the context of marriage, here's my encouragement to you married people. Sex is a part of God's design for your marriage. Don't neglect that gift. Do not neglect that spiritual act. Wives, do not elbow your husband right now or whatever or vice versa, right? This is deeply spiritual. Don't make light of it. Don't, don't allow this moment to, to escape us that this is deeply part of the union that God has called us to within our marriages. Counselor friends of mine, one of the most important questions they ask a married couple struggling is how often are you guys having sex? It's a determiner of, of, of man, the intimacy and the struggle that may be abounding in that relationship is so important that, man, this is how we become one. It's not the whole sum total of oneness. Don't hear me say that. It's a massive part of that. When it comes to sexuality outside of marriage, you're single, non-married person. Here's what it looks like to honor God's design is to preserve the sacredness of oneness for marriage. Don't unite yourself with multiple people, with people that you are not married to. Same goes in pornography. It's not just a, a simple platonic thing. It's not just a hookup. It is deeply spiritual. Don't take sex outside of marriage and expect to be blessed nor satisfied. It's a temporary satisfaction that quickly falls away. You will be damaged and so will those who you are sleeping with. As much as culture may tell you otherwise that it's not a big deal, you will not be blessed by dishonoring God's design. And I realize this, that I'm appealing to your heart for God today. Not everybody in the room has that kind of a heart, but, but here's my hope is that you would see that as we become more and more passionate about Jesus and his leadership in our lives, we become more and more passionate about honoring him in every bit of our lives, understanding that his design is best for our lives. When it comes to honoring God's design, here's something that it's kind of a side note, but I think it's important because of just where life and culture and our world is right now is that I want to encourage you to stay off the soapbox. If you agree with all this stuff that I'm saying, I want to challenge you to stay off the soapbox. Here's what I mean. Scripture is so explicit in that we live lives as a model, a picture, even a quiet life, as a picture of the kind of peace and the kind of hope and the kind of joy that God has designed us to have. I know Maybe culture is shouting at you and your family and your kids and trying to create all this tension in your heart and your mind. And it's clearly culture is not honoring God's design. It's making up whatever definitions that they want to make up and, and trying to kind of get everybody on board with that. I understand that. But the conviction that I'm asking you to have is deep inside your soul. And it's not one that you need to to be super like aggressive and argumentative about. That's what I mean by the soapbox. We give culture hope not by our loud opposition, 
but by living as light in a dark place. Give people a picture of a marriage that they long to have. Don't preach to them about how broken their marriage is. You, you tracking with me? Give people a picture of the kind of hope, the kind of life, the kind of joy that comes with, with living according to God's design. And that kind of witness, a lot of times doesn't take words. It doesn't take a, a really loud social post to try to get everybody's attention. It just takes a simple, quiet, day in and day out, resisting of those broken desires and submission to God's authority and learning to be married, learning to be single, learning to be who God made you to be in a really impactful way. When it comes to marriage, the last thing I would say is this, is the curse that Ab and Eve were brought into, this really all of us were brought into, is affecting every marriage in the room today, guarantee you. I know how much it affects my marriage and how many conversations my wife and I are having as a result of the, the curse and the fall and all that fallout. And I, I want you to hear this too. I'm speaking specifically to married people for just a moment here. That's the context I'm speaking into because that's how God really looks at this. One, I wanna call you men to take responsibility. The curse would lead you to shirk or shrink back from responsibility and to um, step back when things are difficult or maybe a conversation is not going the way you hoped it would go. Um, Adam in that moment in Genesis 3 was standing there the entire time his wife was being tempted and he didn't say a word. Sometimes we're so worried about screwing things up that we don't say anything at all. And Man, that was really the sin of Adam in that moment was not stepping into that broken moment and all that temptation. And I would say that that lure is there for every one of us men. The temptation is there for us to not take responsibility. And so my call to you men would be to take responsibility for your place. God has given you, like Adam had a garden, he's given you a place, it's a family, it's a, it's a workplace, it's a city. He's given you your family, your marriage, and your people, your kids, your wife. Like take responsibility for your place and your people. And know that, you're not gonna always know what to say or how to do it or, or how to lead through this, but by God's grace that you would just say, okay, I'm here, I'm present, I'm willing to take responsibility. What do I need to do? Solve a lot. The other thing I would say, ladies, wives, wives specifically, not just ladies in general, wives specifically, to your husband, don't take over. That's the curse trying to get you to like control, take things over. Allow your husband room to learn to lead. You'll probably get it wrong a lot. The grace, the compassion, the way that you create that space is so powerful. The way you do that is so powerful. And I wanna call you to that place of power to say, all right, I'm not gonna take over. I'm not gonna step in. When he's not stepping up, allow him some room to learn to lead. I believe when you and I learn to resist this curse this way, our marriages can start to build. It may feel like fra fragmented for a while. It may feel like it's not going really well, Richie. I'm not sure where it's gonna go from here, but I believe that God will begin to teach you and show each of you what that looks like over and over and over again. This is a foundation today. I know I can get super practical with every nuanced place in here, but my prayer is that as we look to God's design for marriage, for family, to be healthy, this groundwork being laid in our hearts and our minds, that we would begin to build lives 
that are attractive to people around us. I think that's one of my greatest hearts in this is that we would build lives that are inspiring to people around us. I was at one of my friend's art show this weekend and looking at the excellence and the power of his art. This guy's a follower of Jesus that's been radically changed by Jesus and watching the opportunities that are open to him just because he is giving his all to who God has called him to be and created him to be. I look at that and I look at our marriages, I look at our singleness and I go, God's given you a spot in life right now, but it, but if you kind of neglect it and don't give your all to it, your opportunities are gonna vanish. We have a chance to, to be inspiring to people around us, to say, this is the kind of marriage that God has called us to have. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. But there's a, there's a hope, there's a light in our, in our singleness, in our, in our ability to walk away from desires that have been trying to control us. Man, there's people around you that need to see the hope that you have and to have a picture of, of a way out and your life could be that kind of a story. Your life could be that kind of a picture that people would aim at, look at, long for. That's my desire is that we, we carry this, this family, this picture of marriage, kids, parenting, all of this into this world and people are inspired to become who God has made them to be because of the way we are living according to God's design. That's my hope for you. I gotta stop because we are out of time and Eric's fingers are gonna fall off up here. And so why don't you stand to your feet with me and I'd love to pray with you today. Jesus, you hear this whole conversation and God, I know there's many parts that we're just trying to understand and try to wrap our heads around God. There's many parts that are deeply convicting for some of us, God. Some of us have been outside of your design. We've been maybe treating sex like a commodity, God, or maybe we've just been addicted to pornography and not really understanding the impacts of it, God. Others of us have been so disheartened by trying to live according to your design, God, that we just kind of given up. Think of those in the room with same-sex attraction, gender struggle, God. I, I, just, I just pray, God, that you would just make it absolutely clear who you are and who they are, God, according to your word and your design. God, any of us that are being drug along by a desire, God, we ask for victory, freedom power over that desire, God, to subdue it and to make it obedient to you, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that this would be a church that lives with the, the power of your spirit inside of us, God. Oh God, would you wake up your spirit inside your people? The power, the love, the grace of your spirit, the freedom over sin and death darkness, God. May this be a church that walks in the light and brings hope to a city and fills homes and neighborhoods and schools, God, with peace and life and joy and a picture, God, of who the world could be when they come and follow you, Jesus. God, we are trusting you to do a miracle in us, God. We love you so much, Jesus. spend a few minutes 
declaring some worship together today in unity, just allowing our hearts to be led into the presence of God. There's things God might be saying to you, things he might want to heal in you, things he might want to change in you. Just respond to him. Some of you haven't been baptized yet. Our team would love to meet you in the back and help you take that step today. That's who we are as a church. We love to see you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Your first step, acknowledging Jesus as your Lord and Savior is to be baptized. So head to the back. Our team will get you. We got shirts and shorts, towels, everything you need to take that step today. Let's worship together. Let's respond to God's leading.